Congrats on your watch, bro. It's fucking beautiful. Appreciate it. Insane. For yeah. the people that don't know what it is, can you just... Uh, yeah, so you know? it's it's the 5711 1R. So it's the Nautilus in rose gold. With and the what's chocolate. the brand, just for the people? Yeah, it's Patek Philippe. Give them a good little... Uh... So go. what made you pick up that piece? So when I first created my vision board, like way back in the day when I had like basically no money in my account, I had put like a Rolls Royce, I'd put a like a Lamborghini, I put this watch, I put like some tacky, shitty Richard Mill at the time, which I would never get a Richard Mill now, but put that. And then I also put uh, that I wanted my company on the Fortune 500. Yeah. So the S&P 500. Yeah. And uh, this was one of the first uh, first things I knocked off the vision board, pretty much. So that was the only one? Because for those that don't know, you're a pretty heavy collector. And you have some extremely unique pieces. Um, and I would love if you could just show the people what you have because... Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So I wouldn't call myself a heavy collector. Yeah. I'm definitely a connoisseur. I mean, the issue is that, you know, I probably don't have enough money to buy all the watches that I want, but this is kind of like a look into, you know, more or less my collection. So let's and, break it down uh, for the take people. Take them out one by one. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll take this out. We'll, uh, we'll showcase each and every single piece. We'll start with this one, mm -hmm. uh, 5711 1R. So this watch goes for about 260000 uh, more or less during like the bull market where crypto was going crazy and watches were going crazy and pretty much everything was going crazy. This thing was trading for half a million dollars on the secondary market. It retails for like 80 or 90. Holy shit. So that is, uh, that's a big ROI on your investment. Yeah, if yeah, you're, yeah. if you're buying a watch. Who gets like that. a retail though, realistically. Well, that's have the thing. Have you spoken is, to the guy? Cause I know you have a relationship with the guy. Right. So like formulating a relationship at Patek Philippe, at least here in Montreal, it's Kaufman and Swiss is the, you know, number one provider of Patek Philippe here in Quebec. But formulating a, a relationship with them is something that you have to look at as it's not going to be like a Rolex or any of the other watch brands where you're going to walk in and simply get a watch. It's the same thing with AP though as well, no? AP is very similar in that regard. I don't even think we have an AP dealer in Montreal. I think the closest one's in Ontario. Yeah, it's uh, in Toronto. Oh, it's I in heard Toronto? though AP like really blew up during COVID. Like it yeah. really took off. Well, the thing is with AP is that they're staying relevant with the times, right? Like whereas Rolex, they've consistently stayed on the same models. They've more or less reproduced them over time and they're kind of like the powerhouse. Patek has kind of shifted more towards the older audiences, you know, the more affluent kind of older demographic. They're not really coming out with anything that's like super like unique and going towards the younger audiences. Yeah, it's very classy. Exactly. Elegant. So you're not getting into Patek if you're like, you know, an 18-year-old kid or yeah, a 20-year-old kid. Money. Yeah, if you're new money. You're really getting into that side of the equation, even though we're all new money. We're really getting into that side of the equation because I think there's starting to be a, a little bit of a shift in the marketplace of people who are making money that are younger are appreciating the classics. They're appreciating the nice clothes, the Laura Piana, the, you know, Brunello. Yeah, the Tom Ford. They're, they're appreciating those brands a little bit more and they're appreciating the luxury watch brands as well. Now, when we get into some of the other pieces in the collection, here we have the John Mayer Daytona. And why so, is it called the John? Is it because John Mayer wore it and made it popular? So 
so basically, yes. So this is one of the, the coveted watches in John Mayer's collection. So John Mayer has like an absurd collection and he actually had an interview with Hodinkee, which is like one of the major uh, watch retailers and then also um, like the influencers for the space, if you would say. And basically when they did an interview with John Mayer, this is one of the watches that he was preaching for the most on that interview, which essentially was the, you know, gold watch with the green dial it was something that was not exactly um prevalent at the time it definitely wasn't something that was you know widely worn by most people it's definitely a unique piece in a lot of cases because you have that like green dial and also at the time green wasn't really in it was more so like stainless steel blue dial like when we look at like the nautilus and then you know a lot of the ap's everyone was like very far away from gold, very far away from green, very far away from the chocolate dials. I remember in a lot of cases, a lot of the chocolate dials like this, especially at Rolex, you could pick them up retail. Like a Prezi and chocolate dial, you could pick that up retail. This, you could have picked up retail not too long ago. But the thing is, is now there's starting to be a little bit of a shift in the marketplace. People are going more towards rose gold. They're going more towards yellow gold yeah. just because it's a little bit more pronounced. It's a little bit more luxurious. I would say that's one of the the one watches that's yellow gold that people love. Right. You know what I mean? Stunning. But it's not it's that a lot. many very popular yellow gold watches. Yours is rose gold? Yeah. Because that one too is like... Yeah, this is rose gold. His new one's rose gold. I prefer stunning. rose gold for sure, but yellow gold, because it, it's so flashy. It's it is insane. very flashy. It's very it, much... A, no, no one's questioning like, is that gold? Is that... Because there's white gold and rose gold, right? If somebody has that, you're like, is that real gold? Is it not? You don't really know. Yeah. If something is fucking gold, yellow gold. You're like, that's fucking gold. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very. It's flashy. definitely a flashy piece. Yeah. And it's why it's probably the least worn watch in my collection. Just because it's a lot. It's a lot. It's hard to dress this up. It's hard to put on a suit with this. Although it does match well with a lot of attire. It's very hard to wear this watch and not, you know, get your wrist chopped off if you're in the wrong area. Yeah. So it, it definitely noticing you have. It that. definitely screams. So this one definitely screams. It's it's definitely one of my favorite watches. It and how much is bigger. that one? So this this retails for about fifty sixty somewhere in that ballpark, and it currently goes for one oh six. Wow. So at the peak of the market, it was going for about two hundred. So you know, definitely. A heavy hitter piece if you have this in your collection it's one of the grail watches for sure definitely uh when i picked it up it was mint i've beat the shit out of this watch and it sucks because it's gold because it uh it's hard to polish this watch afterwards because you're really taking down material but nonetheless i i love this watch the other one that i have in my collection over here is the aquanon so that one is one of my favorites just because of the band, I love it. Yeah. It's sporty. You don't know unless you know. It doesn't scream. It's just right. very classy and elegant. Yeah. So what's great about this watch is you can wear it with a suit. You can wear it with pretty much anything. You, could, I've worn this watch to the gym. Even though it's like a $120,000 watch, you could beat the shit out of this watch because it's on a rubber strap. You know, it's pretty resilient in that regard. And then you have the stainless steel case. And I've definitely worn this watch um, beyond most reasonable measures. But it's because it's a stainless steel watch. It's it's meant to be a tool watch. 
Mm -hmm. And we look at a lot of the Rolexes, we look at the Aquanaut, it's sports model, right? Even the Nautilus in a lot of cases is a sports model. And even though you could get it on this rose gold, and this is definitely a dress watch, when you go to the more steel models, they're meant to be used and abused. They're tool watches in a lot of cases. That's and are you, are you able to change the straps on that watch? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this has the, the ability to be changed. Um, you could get a custom strap. You could get a strap from Patek. Those are all options. I personally love the khaki green strap. So this originally comes on a black strap for those who don't know. I personally love it on the custom green strap. It just adds a little bit of spice to it. It also matches, you know, the John Mayer, which works really well. Um, and I just want to create some, some symmetry between my collection. I personally love this watch. It's definitely one of the watches that is the most versatile in terms of like, you know, you're going to have the dual time on it. It's not a typical Aquanaut in that regard, but it's a great watch. It's, it's a great watch. Beautiful I love this piece. watch. Yeah. And then we have one of the heavier hitters in the collection. And then this is the Royal Oak skeleton, as most people know it. This is the open work version. So this is actually the 39 millimeter. I like 39 millimeters on Royal Oaks because I find the 41 is a little too intense. It's almost like you're wearing a dinner plate on your wrist. So that one comes in, in, in 41. So this, this is the older model. So this is not the double balance wheel. So you'll have the newer model of this watch, which you'll see a basically a, uh, a gold um, crossbar across the balance wheel. And then that's the double balance wheel version. That's the newer model of this. So this one is actually a 2016 or a 2015, I believe. And uh, yeah, 39 millimeters. I prefer this because it's a little bit more discreet and especially with something that's rose gold, it's an AP, it's big, it's, it's, it's dense. Like when you compare this watch like to something like this, like this feels like a piece of shit compared to this, in oh, my honest opinion. Wow. Yeah, so I, I love the Nautilus in terms of, you know, the way it wears, the lightness of it, especially for a rose gold piece. You want something that's a little bit lighter and it's very thin in its, in its diameter. This is definitely a clunkier piece. You feel it on the wrist. It's like you're carrying a brick around all day and it's nice, but it's not meant for every setting, right? You know, this, if you walk around the wrong parts of town with this on your wrist, you are definitely getting your arm chopped off. You know, if you're going I think to, any one of your collections, well, even Michael's, well, so, yeah, so, you guys are getting your arms chopped off. So if off. you're going in with this, you're probably not going to get noticed. Like I've been drunk downtown, you know, in multiple cities with this on, goes completely unnoticed, zero problems. However, if you're wearing a gold piece, that's a little like bit this, more flashy. Or like this, those are things that are a little bit more flashy. They're going to get you in a little bit more trouble, especially depending on the city that you're entering into and the uh, the section of said city. And what does that watch go for? So this goes for about 200K. 200K. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. retail, do you know? Retail, I'm not entirely certain on the, the retail price of this. I mean, especially with AP, they definitely don't make it uh, widely known what their retail prices is on their watches. So unless you're a great friend of AP and you get called in for something like this, you're typically not going to know the price. I'm, I'm certain you oh, could find it out interesting. I didn't online. even know that. Yeah. I mean, I'm certain you could find it out online, you know, whereas like, let's say for instance, Rolex. It's very public. Yeah. It's very public depending it's on, on their the model. Own site. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the model, you'll definitely have that readily available on the site. 
But when it comes to, you know, a peer Patek, they're not mentioning any of the prices of their watches. And, you know, even if they do, um, it's simply because you've gone into a boutique and you're a serious customer and they, they consider you as someone who's going to be purchasing a watch. Right. So, so which one's your favorite of all of them? So it's definitely, it's a tough one because they all have different uses, right? They all have different settings. And I think that's, what's great about watch collecting is you get to express a little bit of your personality depending on the setting that you're going into. Like I wouldn't necessarily wear this in like a formal dinner setting per se, but I wear it to, you know, the gym I'd wear it to. It's not a bad gym piece. Only yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I would have might as well deadlift, but yeah, deadlift. Well, well, it's good. It has the rubber strap and it's, it's definitely That's his gym watch. Yeah. It's definitely something to use. If you want to walk a dog or something of that nature, you want to, you know, be a little bit more discreet. No, but I guess it's more like if you're wearing sweatpants and a hoodie, maybe. Right. So if you're, if you're dressed a little bit more casually, definitely you want to go more towards the Aquanaut. You could also pull off a Nautilus. What I love about the Nautilus is you could dress it down. You could dress it up. It works in all settings. Right. Whereas let's say something like the open face, it's hard to dress that down. It's hard to wear that you know, with shorts and a t-shirt without looking like a drug dealer. So it's like, you know, even when I was at Eman's event, like the first thing that everyone said when I was like speaking to them was like, oh, you look very Miami. I don't know how great of a comment that is, is that you look very Miami. Yeah, that's not that. It's not a, it's not a great, I was like, well, fuck me, right? You know, thanks. It wasn't the look I was going for, but I'll take it. So it, it's hard to, it's hard to dress that watch down. And I think, there's a time and a place for all watches. But which one do you find is the nicest, the most beautiful? So like regardless of, of the yeah, event. so I love open work. Like when it comes to like looking at the craftsmanship that goes into watchmaking, because I consider myself a watch nerd. Like you can ask Alessia, you could ask, you know, even you guys, I'm looking at watch content all day long. Mm -hmm. It's when I'm not doing anything business related or, you know, any of that stuff, I'm looking at watches just because I genuinely enjoy the craftsmanship that goes into it. And that might come back from like my days as an artist and wanting to like understand symmetry and all that stuff. Or but, as an engineer potentially. Yeah. Or even, you know, Architect. my time spent, you know, spending time in engineering. Maybe it has all those things to do with it. Or maybe I just like fucking flexing on people with a nice watch. I don't know. I haven't been able to uncover the true answer behind it. I think it's a combination of all things, right? I love watches because it's a statement piece. It showcases that I'm serious. It's gotten me into great conversations with great people. It's opened up business dealings for me. And it showcases, like we touched on the, on the last podcast, like it's as a hobby and signal. It's a true signal. You can't spend $260,000 on a watch if you don't have $260,000. Yeah. Right? And... Sure, you could argue that some people are spending their entire life savings to buy a watch like this. That's not the case with myself, simply because the house, the cars, you know, the the individuals who work in my company, there's a lot of things there that indicate that there's other money coming in elsewhere. But I think what it indicates is I'm someone who's serious and that I value craftsmanship and I value attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a statement that I make when I walk in with a beautiful watch like this. Yeah. And it opens up a lot of doors. Like at the end of the day, 100%, are we just liking these watches because it's a true signal and it's like, hey, I'm the fucking man? Probably 95% of it is that. But the other percentage of it, at least for myself, is that I genuinely enjoy the craftsmanship. I enjoy the fact that I'm collecting something. 
as a kid, I loved to collect, you know, hockey cards and, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh cards and all these other things. For me, this is the grown-up version of Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I'm not collecting, you know, some pieces of cardboard in my room. Don't I'm be like, saying that to Michael because this guy yeah, right. loves... It's uh, Pokemon. His Pokemon. One day I'll have a museum of it. But, really? Uh, let's let's let's, let's touch back into that. But just what I what I wanted to ask you is, how much of it is an investment? Because the value of those watches, like you're tying up a lot of capital in those watches that could be spent elsewhere, right? Even if you just put it in like the stock market, like put aside real estate for a second. If you put in the stock market, potentially you're making, I don't know, 10% a year, 20% a year, yeah. right? 20% is a big stretch. If you just invested in like tech companies, you're for sure making 20% a year. So Well, not not this no, year. This well, year, tech yeah, companies year took a hit. This year, you're making 100%, fuck. Well, it depends on tech companies. It depends when you bought it. Yeah, yeah, if you bought it in like fucking 2022, maybe you're down a lot. If you bought in 2023, you're probably up a lot. But that's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm saying is, like you're tying up a lot of capital for sure. You're a businessman. You know that there's like a cost to the capital. Yeah. So for sure, there's a there's an aspect of it that's an investment. How much does that? How much is that a factor in what you're doing? I would say that that's at least for me, it was a fallacy that I fed myself to believe that I really? was. Yeah, that I I believe that I was investing. I don't believe that what I'm doing is investing. I believe what I'm doing is collecting. Now, how I rationalize it, at least to myself being very much business minded is that it is just a transfer of funds. I could lose money. I could gain money. In a lot of cases, I'm up on my collection, you know, probably 25 or 30%, which is great returns. But when I look at the watch market as a whole and what we've seen over the last, you know, two years with the fucking downward trend that watches are having, yet I continue to buy luxury timepieces. What that indicates to me is that I genuinely enjoy it. It's a transfer of funds. I'm just taking capital in one form and I'm transferring it to another form. I could get rid of my entire collection by 9 p.m. tonight if I really wanted to. Yeah. And I'd have that cash in hand. So it's also understanding the market. It's understanding that you're formulating connections. I'm connected with a bunch of dealers, both in the boutiques. I'm connected with a bunch of dealers on the secondary market. I know a bunch of affluent people that I'd be able to sell these watches to. So for me, it just it's just changing the form of the money that I'm holding. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's what I would assume for myself would be like, holy crap, now I got this amount of money on my wrist that if you go to places, you know, you're like, damn, there's a potential that obviously you, you don't go to the wrong places, but like, it's just like you lose it, you misplace it. You're like, damn. You well, know what I mean, that's the big risk that I see in you my. Lose it or misplace it. Misplace it is a. I mean, but you yeah, know, things you have... happen. So things happen. I'm just saying, if things you're could that happen. Rich that you're misplacing a two hundred thousand dollar watch, well then, sir, I would like to. Uh, I'd like for you to give me some of that capital. Yeah, but I I don't think you're gonna misplace it. I don't think you're gonna lose it. I think if you're responsible, like an adult, you're gonna keep your watches in a place where it's gonna be safe. That's great. You know, I have some of my collection over in safety deposit boxes. I have some of them with me. I like to keep them in a place where I'm not going to lose, get it stolen, get it robbed or anything of that nature. So do you, you just insure have to be mindful. Them? Do you insure them at all? I, I don't insure my watches simply because in a lot of cases, it's hard to get the evaluation right on the watches, especially with the secondary market and how you're positioning it there, especially when you're not buying it 
directly from yeah, AD. Yeah. So that's a little bit more difficult. I could certainly insure them. For me, I personally keep them in a safety deposit box. I'll keep one watch on me at a time, depending on where I'm at. Sometimes I go, you know, empty wrist. So it really depends on where I'm at, what I'm doing, what I think is acceptable, what I think is safe. You know, I had this conversation with plenty of people that you're like, you're a target now as a result of having all these luxury timepieces, and they're not wrong. Depending on where you're at, like I said, you can get your arm chopped off for 10 grand when you have $200,000. And I have this conversation with Daniel all the time. And we were just recently in Miami to pick up this watch. You have to be incredibly careful about where you're posting, when you're posting, how you're posting, who you're posting with, especially if you're on social media and we Who's all Who's posting around you. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to make that well known that like, hey, if you're at a restaurant, and a lot of these rappers and a lot of these, you know, new money people, they don't understand that. Like they're going to post a dinner where they're like, hey, look at this dinner. I'm going to tag the restaurant. I'm going to show half a million dollars in watches. And then they wonder afterwards why one of their friends got killed or, you know, they all got robbed or X, Y, and Z. It's also about having some intellect about, you know, what to do, when to do it and how to do it. Yeah. So you got to be mindful of that stuff because listen... When we make the type of money that we do, when we have the kind of assets that we have, and if it's not tied up in real estate like Michael, people are going to want to take it. That is you true. know, it's very hard to rip a building out of the ground, but you know, to take a watch off the wrist, that's not too hard to do at all. So you got to be mindful. You got to be very careful. You got to make sure that you're doing things properly and you're not, you know, out to dinner, drunk, posting a whole bunch of watches tagging the restaurant and just saying, Hey, you know, free, come see me, come yeah, find me free, free prize yeah. for anyone who has a, yeah. who has a Glock. Right, so. because it, it honestly, it, in terms of the form factor, I struggle to even think about something else that is that small that you could steal that would give you that much return on your, uh, on your, like that would, that if you sold it would give you that much money. You know what I mean? Like if you steal someone's watch, well, you're it, pretty much getting the most capital for like the smallest thing 100%. sold. hundred percent. It is the smallest object, like size per like amount of yeah. capital <laughs> that you could possibly take. Like even for like a lot of the mob and a lot of, you know, the gangs and all the stuff like that. If they're moving any type of product or drugs or anything like that, you take a, what is it, like a... Like cocaine. Let's yeah, say. like let's say cocaine. Like that's a, I've seen the movie. It's like a huge brick of cocaine is like 100K. Yeah, exactly. And you have like you're carrying around yeah. a fucking brick like this, you know, around in public. That's going to be very hard. Whereas something like this, look, it's here. Now it's gone. And it's legal to have, right? So right. It's, it's very, you could steal it and wear it. And go right, yeah. Dinner. And then go, go to dinner to the, the restaurant right, yeah, right next yeah. door. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, like, you got to have some, some level of street smarts to understand, like, hey, it's why you want to keep your circle small. You want to hang around people that you trust, people that you know have your best interests in mind, people who are have as much to lose as you, you know, business owners and people of influence, that way you're not finding yourself in a situation where, you know, someone might tip someone off or, you know, put you in a really bad position. And so I keep my circle very small. It's why when you guys say, you know, like, let's go out to dinner with friends and stuff of that nature. Yeah. It's very much let's let's keep it to the fucking three friends that we have and no more than that. And if it's people that work in our company, sure. But even then, you know, I'm I'm skeptical. 100%. Of, of, I'll give you a, a great instance. We had a. Uh, 
a member of our company invite us all out to a poker night. You know, he was uh, a rough and tough individual and he was, he was great at what he did, but I didn't fucking trust him. I didn't fucking trust him. I put my, I left my watches at home. <laughs> yeah. I left my watches at home. I didn't bring no fucking watches. I'm not getting fucking, you know, robbed at gunpoint because I was just a little too careless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather be safe than sorry. Did anybody get robbed that night? No, but no, of course not. Well, it's better to be but safe. But you want to know what's funny sure. is that and also both didn't wear their watches that night. So we knew that. But know, having that type of person in the company, does that make you like, I know he's good at what he does, but. Well, so keep in mind. Is he Listen, still working for the company? No, he's not. Okay. He's not still working for the company. And we actually, you know, definitely gave him a cease and assist due to multitude uh, of different yeah. factors. Yeah, it's not even. Uh, yeah, so I know, you exactly. know exactly what I know I'm exactly, talking yeah. about. But Let's not even get into that. Well, I, I, think, I think it's a good topic of discussion because you also need to, as a business owner, be extremely critical about your team members, regardless of the amount of money that they generate you. And especially for our business where we have a lot of salespeople, salespeople tend to be you know, very egotistical, money hungry, like really, you know, maybe they don't have the best morals. Maybe they don't have the best morals, right? A lot of those factors and they typically find themselves in a lot of cases, spending a lot of their money and also being addicted to some substances. That is true. Now, obviously people see this right now as it is, but they don't know the amount of businesses and that's the next thing is people right now are seeing the success that we've had over the years, I would say decade, 10 years. We've been at this, yeah, I would probably decade. say, yeah, Michael, a decade for sure. probably a decade. A lot of people don't know if, well, unless they listen probably to the previous podcast that you two had a company, multiple, co- I don't know if it was one company, but a few companies. Did you guys ever think you would get to this point at this age because i know we all knew in our minds that we were going to get to this point but did you think it was going to happen a hundred fucking million percent without a doubt so I'll, i'll give you context and i think i'll let you get into your point a little bit later here but when michael and i first started our businesses even when we initially got into business when we were starting the app or the landscaping company we knew that one thing was certain no matter what we did or how we did it we were going to be successful so was the landscaping though the first business that you guys started together or was it um, the it second? Was. Yeah, it was. It was the first business. So you guys had what? The landscaping. To, to answer though, like did I know we were going to be successful? I mean like that's all we spoke about. Yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's like I we know, knew like, we were going to be say, successful. No, I know you did, but I'm saying like even though I, in, I could only speak for myself, I know that at the time when we were starting these businesses, I had doubt creep in all the time. Like, am I making the right decisions? Am I doing what I should be doing? Like, should I be, you know, taking the route of school and getting an education, getting a degree and then getting a job that way? Or am I, am I doing the right thing? Starting my own business. I had those doubts for sure, but I always knew like a one way or another, I was going to figure it out or I was going to fucking cease to exist because i'm not existing not making money i don't know that's just for me personally i'm telling you there was something innate in me that was like it's either i make money or i i i don't exist i don't know that was just my opinion of life it was like i'm not gonna live here on the streets you know begging for money and 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 getting food that way like that just wasn't in my mind you know it wasn't an option and i don't think it was for any of us you have one life like that, that reel that I sent you, Nick, was such an eye opener to me 
The whole purpose of life is to just enjoy the passing of time. That is the only reason to live. So if you're going to live life, don't you think you should live it in complete abundance? Exactly to what Michael's saying. Like, why would you live life any less? I agree. You have one existence. I agree. agree. And that's something that actually I speak with my dad a lot because my mom's like, why do you guys do such expensive things? And me and my dad always tell each other, we're like, well, if other people are doing it, why, why do other people get experienced that and not us? You know what I mean? Like we all have one life. That's it. We don't know what's after life, after, uh, after death. So we just experience and yeah, create new memories of, of justifying spending Be- a lot on it. Well, the thing is, it's not that yeah. I disagree. I'm just saying, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because he always taught me is when I pass away, all everything that I've created or everything that you've created, no one's really going to remember like nothing cares besides the memories that you guys cherish. So it's like with your kids, when I have kids, it's the memories that get passed on that are the most important. And memories are a lot of the memories are created through vacations, not saying all, but a large majority like, Oh, you know, when you're speaking with other people, like remember when we did this, we did this, a good vacation. Exactly. And then that's one thing I will say that when your dad said he, your dad explained exactly this. And then he added that he's so lucky that his kids want to spend that time with him yeah. and actually cherish that time. So it was really deep. Well, yeah, for sure. Because he didn't have, he didn't, he didn't have, uh, him and his father didn't have the greatest relationship. So growing up, not at all, like not the best, uh, different times, obviously, but yeah. with us, he said, no, no way. So that was that. But you guys right now obviously have two, we all have, uh, separate companies, Ambro, for people that don't know, you have a closing company, I yeah. guess. Recruitment and Recruitment management. Michael, real estate, myself, it's marketing. Do you think this, the large majority of success that you guys had when you started your companies um, were from the lessons that you learned from the partnership yeah, that you guys had? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And what 100%. are some of those lessons that you guys can share? I mean, I would say like, uh, in terms of the lessons, maybe we could tell stories and then say what the lessons were, but like, I mean, well, good question to ask you, Michael, do you think it was because we shared common characteristics that irregardless of us starting a business together or doing it separately, we would have been successful no matter what, or was it the lessons that we learned together as we started this first business? I think that. When we started these businesses, we made it a point that if we failed, we discussed what we learned. That was something that we did together. That was like really. So you guys would. We made a point to do that. Like we would say like, oh, we wasted all our money on this, but this is what we learned. Like, for example, we'd be like, okay, we bought all this equipment and now all this equipment is shit. And then now we're buying new equipment. And then we would sit sit to ourselves and say, okay, the downside is. We could have bought this equipment first and saved a bunch of money. Saved what type a bunch of, of equipment are you talking about? Like, from... Let's say for landscaping. Okay. We, we, we bought a bunch of lawnmowers from like Home Depot that are just shit, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's not meant that you, it's not, those, that equipment wasn't built for you to mow like 50 lawns in a week. It wasn't in, industrial. In a, in a week, you know? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't meant for you to, to, to mow lawns consistently one after another, right? It's like you mow a lawn, you turn it off and you mow it again in a week. You know, that, that's how that equipment is built. So we'd learn these lessons that we shouldn't have acquired this equipment for commercial use. But then we made a point to sit down with each other and discuss it. But we didn't do it like, 
oh, let's discuss the mistakes we made. We just happened to, we tried to be positive about it. You know, like the glass is half full. We used to be like, you know what? Yeah, we made these mistakes, but we're never going to make it again. That was our logic. It was like, well, these are our mistakes, but we're not going to make them again. So let's discuss the mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in that regard, for sure, that helped us like tremendously, 100%. I don't think that we would I don't think that we wouldn't have been successful had we not done those things. I think we would have been successful no matter what. I just think that I don't know what it is. I don't know if you're born with it. I don't know if you grow up with it. I just think that us as a friend group, like we were always just convinced that we were going to make a bunch of money and we were going to do a bunch of good things. You know what I mean? And so I can't say that if one of the friends that went if they, if it so happened that they moved to another place, like I would bet that they would still make a bunch of money. You know what I mean? I just think that it just so happens. Like, I don't know how the universe works. I don't know how people are drawn to each other. I just think that for sure we would have made that amount of money. But if we assimilate the things that we did, that kind of guaranteed that we were going to make a lot of money for sure. One of the biggest things was that we analyzed our mistakes and we, we made it, um, like we, we really spent a lot of time making sure that we don't, we didn't make that mistake again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And one of the examples was equipment. Like, and I said it in our first podcast, or I even said it in my story, like don't cheap out on equipment, you know? And I never do that anymore. Now, like I, I even went above and beyond in the laptop I bought and I made sure I bought like a fucking the, the above and beyond that I would even need because I'm like, you know what? Worst case, what happens is you have a piece of equipment that is better than what you needed. But the fucking horrible thing is having a piece of equipment that you need something fucking better because it's a piece of shit and it breaks down on you. I agree, but I also think think for the people that are listening that are not at that stage where they can afford the better equipment, what would you, would you still recommend to get it? Fucking figure out the, the, like the minimum you need to spend on a piece of equipment that can actually work for what you need it to do, like at least for a year. If that fucking piece of equipment is not going to work for you the way you need it to for a year, get a better piece of equipment. And if you can't afford the better piece of equipment, fucking find another industry to work in. I disagree. I disagree because for example, like you guys did, right? What I would have done just using landscaping is maybe right now I can't afford that thousand dollar lawnmower, right? I don't know what a lawnmower goes for, but let's just say thousand dollars for a lawnmower. I would then go say, you know what? Let me at least get one that's worth $75, a hundred dollars, the cheapest one. I, again, I don't know what the prices are. And then sign a few clients and just reinvest into better equipment. That's my mentality, not just figure it out. Well, we did that. And, and so we, we, we did that. And what happened was we found out real quick that at the end of the day, and it's the same thing we did with this podcast, realistically. Yeah. Like I didn't cheap out in the equipment, but at the end of the day, if I thought of, if I'm going to be doing this business for the next five, 10, or even if I, if I need this equipment to last me and be this quality for the next, I don't know, two years, three years, there's a different mindset in what you're going to acquire. Because at the end of the day, what I've learned is when you cheap out on equipment up front, you end up spending way more in the long run. Not as way cheap. Way more. Okay. And the difference between, let's say, like the, the, the equipment that 
breaks down early, it might be the difference of, let's say for landscaping, for us, it was like, we could buy a lawnmower for 300 bucks. And then we could buy a commercial lawnmower, which every other landscaping company is already using. So it's very obvious what equipment would last us, right? We could see it on the roads every single day. If we bought their piece of equipment, it might be a thousand bucks for a lawnmower versus our $300 lawnmower. I agree. We fucking ended up spending like thousands of dollars on that same shitty lawnmower that kept breaking down on us. Yes, we returned it and we got warranties and shit. But at the end of the day, if you look at the, the amount of money we spent on that shitty piece of equipment versus if we had just splurged a bit on the better piece of equipment up front, we spent way more buying shitty equipment and then replacing it and replacing it mm-hmm. and replacing it. So, and, and then that doesn't even factor in the time. Yeah, but that, that, that goes with everything. That's what I'm trying to say. Cause but I, and, but cause I, I know what I'm saying, but I agree with higher, you guys so, no, for the equipment yeah, that it costs more money. But what I'm saying, is saying, if you don't have the money, buy Nick, the cheaper. Equipment. No, no. Nick, I'm just saying Nick, at Nick. least invest to get started. You guys did sure. it to get started. What, regardless for the podcast, it's not to say that if you can't afford all of the equipment, one second, just one second it, for the podcast that you can't get started. Alex Ramosi literally said when he had his shittier content with just a shitty camera, it got still a lot of traction. Then how so can you continue like that? Because obviously you get more money, but I'm not exactly. taking I'm just I'm not taking away from the fact that if people can't afford it, you said so figure out a point. different industry. This is my point. I'm saying maybe go cheaper and just reinvest, no, reinvest, this reinvest. This is my point. My point is this is that if the difference is three hundred bucks and in the end you buy the three hundred dollar lawnmower and then you end up spending two thousand dollars because you keep buying new lawnmowers that are shitty versus a thousand dollars for the better lawnmower that lasts you for a season or two you end up spending less money that's the point it's like it wasn't the fact that we didn't have two a thousand dollars to spend on a lawnmower that wasn't the fact we had that money because we spent more money on the shittier equipment so that's the point i'm trying to make i'm saying like if it's the difference between three hundred dollars versus a thousand dollars for a piece of equipment that's going to last you either a month or fucking two years, spend the thousand bucks because I I, I promise you yeah. that shitty piece of equipment is going to cost you more than the better the piece of equipment. A hundred percent. Let's take this. Let's say a marketer, for instance. Let's let's bring it over to the service-based industry. Mm-hmm. Me and Michael, let's say with our landscaping company, did a shittier job than a more yeah, expensive yeah, yeah. company that would have came in, done everything properly in a shorter amount of time with better equipment. But let's take your company, for instance, you're in marketing. If I am a shitty marketer, but I charge way less, I'm going to get more clients, right? That is correct. Just because if I could sell, I know how to market somewhat. I'm going to get more clients, but am I going to get better results for said clients? Then let's say an expert marketer who knows exactly what they're doing with the most efficient equipment, with the most efficient team that spends money on acquiring the best talent for their business, the best copywriters, the best media buyers, everything is to a T. I, I agree with that, but I don't think, I, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, but to the point was just, you had said, fi- like, but Nick, I understand, no, Nick, just, you fi- said figure it out, but, or change industries. I think the better thing would just be to give people advice would be to just maybe wait before buying the $300 lawnmower, keep working and save up and then yeah, buy so that's the point Th- that's what that's what exactly. I, when I said that what i said is if you cannot afford the more expensive piece of equipment you're better off either 
choosing a different industry in the sense of if you can't save up enough to acquire that piece of equipment, then don't go in that industry. If you know you could save up enough to eventually buy that better piece of equipment, start when you could afford to buy that better piece of equipment. Because I'm telling you, you're going to end up spending a lot more fucking money on other shit. That's all I want to clarify. And even even my laptop, even my laptop that I just bought, I bought like a year ago from Mac. It ended up being fucking a piece of shit I found. And it's like, to most people, it would be like a good piece of equipment. But for me, it's like if I'm using it every day and it has to be as fast as my other equipment that's in the office that I use to work every single day. Yeah. It was not even close to being on par. So it's like if I'm going to something that's so snappy, so quick, I click it, it loads instantly. And then when I have to work remotely, I click on something, it takes fucking 10 seconds to load, 20 seconds to load. It doesn't run certain programs. It's fucking, it's a waste of money because in the end I buy both fucking things and I spend more money than I otherwise would have if I just spent a bit more upfront on the better piece of equipment. Being cheap costs you money. Being cheap costs you money. A hundred percent. Being cheap costs you so much money. We just had this happen with one of our clients recently. We had a very big account with us that they were with us for like probably two years where we service them on the sales side where we staffed them with salespeople. And they were doing about seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars a month cash. On cash collected because cash for, collected. For, for people that don't know there's a difference, right? The yeah. Cash collected. You could have revenue. We were probably doing about eight hundred to a million dollars a month in revenue. Probably about, you know, eighty percent cash. And cash collected for those that don't know, it's what you because people are on payment plans, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So they were a real estate education program. And they had a great program. They had a great company. They did awesome for their clients. They were definitely, you know, less flashy than a lot of the education companies out there. And they did an awesome job servicing their clients, but they decided to bring things in house. Now, Daniel is in a lot of their Slack channels because he was an admin inside their Slack. And we just got a message from them that they decided to bring things internal and that their sales team is absolutely shitting the bed because they wanted to reduce commissions, they wanted to bring things internal, they wanted to have everyone in-house, and as a result, they're probably doing like $100,000 a month in cash wow. collected, if that. Wow, if that's crazy. That. So number one is the biggest lesson that you guys learned was don't cheap out on don't equipment, out. save up a little bit more, and buy you know yeah. better equipment. I wouldn't well, say that that was my biggest. No, no, but I think that's one that, that's one of the things. One of the core principles. One of the core principles. What would be because you guys both is something that you know off camera that we discuss this a lot, and I know one of the big things that caused me and Michael to succeed in our respective industries because we're in completely different industries, although they share some correlation. I'm in the recruitment and management side. We staff real estate education companies with salespeople and build out their whole front end to staff them with salespeople, and we get a percentage of their revenue. Michael goes and acquire properties and sells them off to institutional buyers and, you know, private buyers and so on and so forth. So there's some similarities, but completely different industries than what we're in. Yet we both have massive companies with over, you know, 40 team members on our team and we do great. How can we both be successful? Given the fact that we're completely different individuals, we came up with completely different backgrounds and we're not the same person. Mm -hmm. Yet the only common similarity that we share is that we're friends and that we also started a company together. One of the biggest things that I think 
aided in us becoming the type of individual that could have a successful company is that every single day that we were in that company, we were learning. We were continuously learning. When we were mowing lawns, Michael would have one audiobook. I would have another audiobook. I'd be listening to the Y Combinator while I was mowing those lawns. Michael would be doing the trimmer. He'd be listening to another audiobook of Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he would just be going ahead and mowing the, mowing the lawn. I'd be cutting the lawn, X, Y, and Z. And we would come back with our findings. And one of the things that resonates with me the most, and it seems so stupid, but it was rinse your cottage cheese. <laughs> we would yell this in the car, in our fucking shitty Luxo whip. Yeah. Which was this like beat up $2,000. Shit car. $2,000 piece when of you guys were on it, when you guys were on it, it, it was a piece like, of shit. I was like, is this even safe to drive? It was like, so are you guys allowed to drive? Relax. It was, yeah, relax. 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 Safe Bro, it was bad. It was, it was it so bad that we had to. definitely a good car. I remember when we had to unhinge the back of the pickup, we had to like take these two wires and like put them together to unhinge the back of the vehicle because we didn't want to spend the 50 bucks that would have costed us to get the new part and have them install it. I remember we went to the auto body shop and they were like, yeah, it's going to cost $50. Me and Michael looked to each other. We're like, fuck that. We're like, we're we like, could just pull yeah, it. We're just going to yeah. pull it and unhinge the back of the pickup. So why do you guys think that it didn't work out between you? Is it just because you both wanted to kind of go your own directions because obviously I think you guys were learning it was a discussing. bad business. I think that that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned. Like for sure there's way, like there's things that we did where we maybe didn't compliment each other as well as we could have. Yeah. But I think like even before that aspect, the biggest thing was when you look at landscaping, like if we had looked, if I looked at landscaping now with what I know about business, I would have been like, okay, I'm going to compete against a bunch of people that, the barrier to entry is like buying a couple lawnmowers and, and mowing some lawns. Mm -hmm. Anybody can compete with me. Um, the margins are very thin, right? Like yeah. even if I have a landscaping company where I'm charging a premium price, the, the cost of the labor is like, my margins are going to be like 10%, 15%, you yeah. know, like very thin margins, all these things. Are, and then like how many clients do I need to cut their grass to make a million dollars? I need to pretty much get like I probably a thousand you need a monopoly on the market. Yeah, you need like a monopoly on the market. So it's like there's so many reasons why the business itself would never have worked and didn't work. And I think that that's why that was like the biggest issue. And that was one of my biggest lessons was like, if I'm going to start a new business, how quickly can I make a million dollars? I found that that was like a good litmus test, I guess, for like choosing a different industry was like how quickly can you make a million dollars in this industry and let's say it's like t-shirts okay let's say you want to sell ten dollar t-shirts how many t-shirts oh and let's say your margins are uh, 10 percent yeah so you make you, you sell ten dollar t-shirts and your margins are 10 percent. you make a dollar profit per t-shirt you sell you have to sell a million t-shirts to make a million dollars that is fucking difficult. Probably right? more with the refunds and all that. So. Exactly. And then refunds and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And then the logistics behind the refunds and all that. It's but a fucking nightmare. And that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned is like, I think that 
we were destined to fail because our goal for making a bunch of money was we, we, we wanted to make millions of dollars, tens of millions, billion. We wanted to be billionaires, trillionaires, mm -hmm. right? But then we're in an industry that if we were going to achieve that amount of wealth, the things we had to do were pretty much impossible. Right. But do you guys think also that you kind of both, I see a lot of the both similar characters in the way you're like your drive and what you guys bring to the table and in business i think it's good to have someone that brings something else to the table meaning let's say i don't like to um i don't like to communicate with people but john is just communicating with people i like more back end running the show on the back end and really not dealing with with that do you think you guys also, regardless of the industry of where you were at, and I know Ambro just stepped away for a second, but do you think you guys similarly in the mentality and everything that you guys were doing, you were bringing this, like the same characteristics yeah, yeah, yeah. to the table? I think that we were too similar. Yeah. in yeah. our skill sets for sure. We didn't complement each other. In a well. Exactly. Because I was going to say right now at this point, you know, like if you guys did a different thing, take away landscaping that could have brought you to a million dollars. You guys have a lot of traits that are the same. So I think also, you know, it's like you both are bringing a lot of value to the I table. I agree with Michael in that sense. And I'll explain why. Michael is a little bit more, and don't take offense to this, but I think you're more emotional in your decision-making process. Whereas I am more logical. So I think in that regard, if we were to start another business, knowing what we know now, I think we would absolutely fucking crush it. So although at the time we were so inexperienced that we didn't understand ourselves personally, but we didn't also understand the team dynamic in which we needed to effectively do to be successful in the business that we were in, 100% landscaping was the wrong vehicle. But at the same time, there's plenty of landscaping companies that do excess of a million dollars per year in revenue. Yep. So it's not to say that that was a terrible vehicle, I think it's how we went about it. And I think knowing what we know now and understanding our business expertise, Michael has a, a totally different skill set than I do. He excels in mathematics. He excels in being able to, you know, sympathize with his team members. He excels in understanding how to run a team dynamic, whereas I am completely different in a lot of regards where I would say I'm more reclusive. I'm more logistical. I would say I'm, I'm that's where I thrive personally. Mm-hmm. But do you see, because, and this is just my opinion, would be, would that be a problem with communication between both of you? Because sometimes when there's so big extremes, it's like, let's say, for example, let's just say motion, no emotion. And then there's a decision that has to be made, but the person is acting in a way that you wouldn't. Do you think that could be a benefit or also a disbenefit? I think that... I'm just asking. I'm not saying... that's a good question. I think that... Because it's tough sometimes... I run a business with John and sometimes there's two different point of views that we I have, that but we try to find the, the common exactly. denominator. I think, that the, I think that to simplify your question is that the easiest or to give a simple answer to your question would yep. be the easiest thing is that when you're alone, you can make all your own decisions. Exactly. A hundred percent. You can make all your own decisions and there's nobody else to blame for a, for something going wrong. Right. It's like, I've made this decision shit's not going as I expected it to be. Who's to blame? The person who made the decision, it's me. If you're in a partnership, it, it has a whole 
other spectrum of things that you have to consider, right? Is it me who made the bad decision? Is it him? Is it him influencing me to make a shitty decision? Like there's all these other things that you have to consider in a partnership, of course. you know? And I would say that for us, maybe a challenge would be like, like he's saying that I was more emotional. I, I agree to a certain extent, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that that kind of summarizes it correctly. I just feel like I have certain principles, let's say in business that kind of shoot myself in the foot in the short term. But in the long term, the reason why I make those decisions is because I feel like in the long term, they benefit me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like I make decisions in business where like I have a person that I could I could have sued. Potentially now it's been over three years. I don't even know. So I might not even be able to sue him. But I could have sued him for like $350,000 that he would have owed me. Right. But I chose not to sue him because I knew that he would have fought the whole time, it would have been a five-year litigation process and I would have had to consistently remember the events and, and talk about the events and argue the events. And then in the end, I might even lose still, right? Like the odds are I would have won, but still at the end of five years, you never know. The judge makes the decision. Maybe he, he judges that I lose and it would have been a waste of time. And so in my opinion, that was not the right avenue to take. I would have rather say, you know what? Fuck you. You know that you fucked me. You could go fuck yourself. I'll never do business with you again. And I'm going to move on and I'm going to, I'm going to make money doing deals with other people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That was kind of my way of doing business where I feel like Ambro is different in that regard. Like he would have maybe, I don't know what Ambro would have done differently. I'm just saying like in, in, in that sense is like, we have different ways of deciding what the best thing would have been, what the best decision would have been for us today in the long term. You know what I mean? But I don't necessarily think that that was what made our businesses fail. I think that it was really the things that make a business fail no matter what. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that could we have worked together and made those businesses succeed potentially probably but at the same time what i'm saying is the more important factor is like if you have a business that won't succeed like if I, we would have said we want to make we want to generate 10 million dollars of revenue in one year with this landscaping company that in and of itself is such a hard goal compared to if you want to do that same amount of revenue in real estate and i just find like if you if you have a vehicle that makes it extremely difficult to accomplish your goals that in and of itself is difficult if you have an easy vehicle to accomplish your goals you'll probably figure out the little things the little disagreements you know mm -hmm. and it's probably why you and john have still stuck together even though you've had many issues is because the reality is is you're in a business where there is upside there is potential to make a lot of money you know? And so as long as you kind of figure out those differences, you'll, you'll still be able to achieve those goals. For us, it was like, even if we figure out those differences, the goal is not achievable. Correct. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. So let's bring it to starting all over again. Well, well, before we go into that though, sorry, just, I want to specify the app because the app is like one of the biggest things that Kind of that was the yeah, nail in I our think, coffin. 
but I think that was the the high leverage activity that we were searching for. Mm-hmm. And the can you give people give context about the app? Because yeah. I we all know what you're I, talking about. Yeah, I'd but, be glad to do so. Yeah. So we started the landscaping company with the intention of revolutionizing the service-based industry. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, we're going to start a landscaping company. Well, that's how it started. That's how it started. And then we realized, holy shit, we're going to make no fucking money. Correct. We're like, we're we're mowing this guy's lawn. We have to commit. He's paying us 500 bucks. We have to mow his lawn maybe fucking 20 times the whole season. We're making like 10 bucks a mow. I don't know if like the math makes sense right there, but you know what I mean? We're making very minimal amount of profit or even revenue per time we have to service his law yeah but the the idea for the viewers that are listening is that we wanted to revolutionize the service-based industry by providing an application that would connect service providers with the consumer so we wanted to start with home services because at the time michael was at uft he was you know learning from people who had set up huge you know uh laundry industries in which they had an application where they would provide, you know, laundry services to, you know, some of the students and they were making tons of money throughout the process. So when we came up with this idea, we were like, oh my God, you know, what if we were to connect, you know, landscapers, hairdressers, everything. Well, less so hairdressers, but more so landscapers, window cleaners, you know, pool care professionals, um, even, in the later stages, we wanted to go towards more of the fitness industry and being able to provide people with at-home services. But what we didn't realize is we didn't have any coding experience. We didn't have any marketing experience. We didn't know how to run an application company. We had no real experience in that industry. And I think when we look back to what made us fail, it was that we didn't understand those core principles of how do we actually run those businesses. And I remember at the time we went to someone to develop an application for Luxo services at the time. And he told me, and this was something that resonated deeply with me. And it was something that made me very upset. But at the time, I think it's what I needed to hear. He was like, Hey, entrepreneurship is not cut out for everyone. Maybe go learn to code and then we'll speak in a couple months. Wow. And I remember that, that message so deeply because I knew that it was something that was true and it was something that I needed to understand, but yet I wasn't willing to endure the hardship of learning how to code and learning this new skill set. And I think if you're a young entrepreneur and you want to succeed, regardless of the industry that you go into, you have to understand the skill deeply, not to an expert level. I don't think you need to be the best in the world at marketing. I don't think you need to be the best in the world at sales or the best in the world at real estate. But I think you need to understand the components of the industry that you're getting into to understand how to navigate, how to adjust, how to make sure that you're pivoting when things change Mm -hmm. because things do change every day. Think about yourself and your marketing company, Nick. You're constantly having to adapt and adjust. The services that we offer today are not the same services that we offered when we first started. No kidding. You guys used to offer photography and post on social media once a week. Yeah. But but to like kind of break down the lessons that we learned from that is that we were like, we're going to be the Uber of services. That was our tagline. You know, we're going to offer services at the touch of a button. Right. Mm -hmm. But then logistically how difficult that becomes was something we didn't really think about so we went and we're like that makes perfect sense and we would ask everybody if you could request these services from an app 
would you do it? Yeah, they would do it. But what we didn't break down is how much money do we make every time they request a service? What does it take to have a database of people ready to, to do those services, right? What do we have to compensate them for those services? Like all these things. And when you break down all those things, it's like, okay, well, it's the reason why services at the touch of a button still doesn't exist is because logistically it's extremely difficult, right? Potentially Uber could accomplish it because they have a bunch of people, but even then they know how to drive. They don't necessarily know how to clean your, how to clean your home or how to fix your plumbing and stuff. And, and it's like, we didn't think deeply about how, logistically, how do we, what do we have to do logistically to make it happen? And then secondly, how many times do we have to make it happen for it to actually be profitable enough for us to actually want to like do this full time? Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? And I feel like that was the biggest mistake. Whereas to tie it into nowadays, let's say I would look back and say, how would I make but a I, million dollars? I also think, sorry to yeah. cut you off here, Michael, but I think there's two different types of businesses. I think there's businesses in which you're going for an exit. So you're sacrificing five to 10 years of your prime entrepreneurial years in order to establish a business that could be sold at a premium, at, a, at an exorbitant amount in order to justify your five to 10 years of work. Or I think there's a cash flow business. When I look at all of our businesses, they're cash flow businesses. When I look at all of the businesses that are propagated online, they're cash flow businesses because the reality is when you look at what's important to us, we want to live life. We want to have an excess of cash flow. I'm, I'm very much for the point of, yes, I want to build a software company and I want to exit for 10 million one day. But when we look at the number of companies that actually go to exit, they actually get sold. It's in the decimal points. Yeah. It's in the fractions of fractions. And when we look at what it even takes to become a successful entrepreneur in the beginning stages, man, the fact that we have all been successful is an anomaly in itself. There is something that we learned along the way, whether it was our competitive nature, whether it was our continuous learning, whether it was us constantly pushing each other that allowed us all to succeed. That is an anomaly in itself. Then if you want to take it a step further and say, okay, not only are we going to be successful entrepreneurs, but we're going to exit our companies we're going to sell them for 10 20 30 100 mil that is that is absurd to well, believe that that's a and mark my words i'm saying it right here we haven't done it but i guarantee you all three of us are going to exit our company but but that that's the point that, that's a good point that you guys make though okay because it's about like are you is the goal to make no money and then exit and then that's when you make your money or is it to make your money every single year and that's in my opinion, one of the biggest lessons that that I, I would say we learned, but I know for sure I learned in yeah. the landscaping business is that like when I broke it down in, into how do I make that amount of money? Like how do I make a million dollars a year that I could spend doing whatever I want? It became pretty much impossible to do that with like this service-based app. You know yeah. what I mean? At least with what the resources we had at the time were, it became pretty much impossible. And that's why that that's something specifically that I learned so much. And that's why I pivoted completely to a different industry. And I was like, one of the biggest things that I learned is how quickly can you make 
like a, a, a an amount of money that is substantial in the industry that you're in. And I found that when you think about it in that regard, it pretty much cancels out like 90% of the businesses that you could possibly start, you know? And that to me was one of the biggest lessons is like, you could go and start whatever business you want, but if you're not considering how quickly you're going to be able to make money that you could actually take and enjoy the fruits of your labor from, you pretty much cancel out 95% of businesses or 90% right. of businesses. I would say businesses, this is a lot of time, man. Like it's a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, exactly. a lot of effort. And what I've deduced it to though, is that if you could, if you're a beginner and you know nothing, okay. The best advice that I could give to somebody that I don't care if you want to start a business or not. It's about if you want to make a lot of money, the best thing that you could do, what I've deduced it to is that sell a product. And th this is something I mentioned on our first podcast, sell an expensive product and get a percentage of the sale. Yep. That is the quickest way you could possibly make money. And if you want me to even deduce that further into more simple terms is go into fucking sales and get a commission of your sales, but yep. make sure you could sell either so, a lot of it and get a commission of it or sell a few of it, but it's a big amount and get a percentage. And also okay. find someone that you no, want I, to I think it's two learn ways. from, right? I, but I think it's like a mentor. Ways. Of course you need a mentor, but I think it to elaborate on Michael's point, when we look at business in general, especially when you're starting out, there's two ways in which you can make a lot of money in a very short period of time, make a disproportionate amount of wealth in a very short period of time. It's through sales Facts. And it's through marketing. Yeah. If you could generate eyeballs, you can monetize. If you know how to sell those eyeballs, you can make money. And I think when you have the combination of both, that's where you become a deadly combination. And no matter what the industry is, if we had thousands of customers requesting our, our landscaping services, we would have had a successful business. Mm -hmm. And I think when we look to what are the key fundamentals that a young business owner needs to learn? It's sales and marketing. Don't get yeah, me wrong. That's a good point. Operations, fulfillment, customer service, you know, supply chain. These are all things that people need to know, especially depending on what business they're in, whether they're in product or they're in service or any of these different industries. One of the things that I, I've learned is that the only way you're successful is if you understand those two fundamental skill sets, Correct. both sales and marketing, because you could figure out operations and not only that, but if you have sales coming in and you have eyeballs, you could fucking hire someone for HR. You could hire someone for the CSM role, which is client service management. You could hire someone for the customer fulfillment role. You could do everything that you want to accomplish. That is null and void. That is a hundred percent a certainty. If you have capital, and you have eyeballs in your business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, I 100% agree. And the way I would even, the 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 way I justify it to myself is this: is that you could have the best operations in the world, but if that's all you have and you don't have sales, your business goes to shit. Well, not only and that, if you have no it, operations at all and you just have sales, you're making money. Meaning, if you're a fucking scammer, piece of shit. You're still making money. And that's why I'm not saying wouldn't that recommend a that. Yeah. No, no, I'm not but, saying that that's a viable business. But, but let's take this option. Even but if, if you, you have could the best make money and generate revenue, the rest you could figure out. 
Yeah, but if you have the best product in the world, but nobody knows about it, and you have the best sales skills in the world. It doesn't matter. Exactly. It doesn't matter because you don't have eyeballs. You don't have people coming to consume your product and or service. Yeah. So the thing is, is you got to have a combination of the, both of them. You have to have a combination of both sales and marketing in order to have a viable business model, regardless of what industry you're in, whether you're in SaaS, whether you're in a service, whether you're in product, it doesn't matter what you're in. If you have sales and marketing, you can have a successful business because you know how to generate attention and then you know how to convert that intention into customers. Exactly. And what I would say though, is that above everything is that it's sales first. If you could generate sales, you could figure the rest out. You need sales. Without sales, yeah, you without are sales, not generate zero bringing in any money. Exactly. No money. You can't pay for staff. You can't pay for... Nothing's happening. Exactly. If you do not That's sell, the thing that I realize the so most. That as, is definitely the, the sales expert here. Yes. I'm going to disagree with you guys. You would disagree. And I would disagree. Because I, for marketing, obviously eyeballs, so 100%. But I, if I, I bring in, I if I bring in, yeah, yeah. let's just say so, I get a, uh, a thousand but, leads from my business and not one of them is closed, then it doesn't matter the amount agreed. of eyeballs that I came because I just agreed. spent money. But what's the first step? The first step is obviously getting the eyeballs. There you go. But I'm so saying the first, first step, step is, is the skill. The no, skill no, because what I would say is that, like, look at my business. Look at our business, okay? We don't really do any marketing. Like, like if you really break it down, you could argue that I disagree. Cold calling and stuff is, is marketing. marketing. 100% okay, but marketing. what I'm saying is that like it's more sales than it is marketing. No, opinion. because without the initial cold call, without the human capital in order to get that individual on the phone and create the initial interest, you don't have something to sell to. But then that's 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 the, a matter the initial of, step. That's is a matter marketing. of marketing is number one though to do the business for sure. That's a matter of definition. But the one right? skill you should have From, is sales. So my definition is sales. because okay, is but that we sales. run a company that has over fifty salespeople. Yes, over fifty sales professionals. Yeah, that have gone through either our internal training or have gone through external training, and we continuously develop their skill set, and when. They have no leads. They are essentially useless. I agree. But I'm saying, I'm not saying that so that's the not the first step to have for business. I'm just step. saying the first okay, is learning the skill of I'm, closing people. I'm, no, but because if you get eyeballs step. and you cannot close people, your no, because, business is not going to grow. It no, doesn't matter. What you guys don't understand is that most people who have an absurd amount of eyeballs, let's take like a Takashi 69, a fucking absolute fucking junkie idiot. He is able to convert people into a low ticket product that doesn't require sales in, in the slightest degree. He could simply have a funnel where he hires an expert in sales to be able to convert those audience into paid consumers. Yes. So if, if a fucking idiot like a Takashi 69 or any of those fucking idiots online that are, they, they don't have two brain cells to fucking scrape together, could take an audience and convert them into buyers, the first step to business is eyeballs. Yes, but it's generate it's marketing. But look, but what this is my point. My point is that at the end of the day, if they never get and it's the same point Nick's making, if they never get converted to buyers, then your business ceases to exist. Agreed. So so the only but you so could the never only, outsell, but you could always outmarket. But that's what I'm saying. So, so the only out. the only the the only thing that keeps any business alive is actually making a sale. Like if you don't make a 100%. sale, so that's the point. It's like 
how you get so the then, sales. So let's say you so got. Then let's get it. But like, let, let me just add this. Let me just add this. Let me just finish. Let me just finish. Right, boy. One person. One person. If you, if you if you could get sales theoretically without marketing then you would still be a viable business Correct. because you're making the sales. So the first and only thing that makes a business survive is a sale, but a the, sale taking but place. The, the only thing that it allows a sale to take place in the first place is marketing. But let's just say, but, but you're training your guys you, but I sales, right? So now they have the skill to close. Let's say we did the opposite myself, just marketing. Correct. And now I have all the eyeballs, but I'm not closing. So then the issue is product. Yes so, and no. But it's yes, how if you, you have a if you have a great product and you understand how to market, you don't even need sales. And that's the thing that I'm trying to stress. And as a person who operates, I grow businesses for a living. Me too. That is legitimately my no, but that is legitimately my only sole purpose in a business is to generate them sales. Be too, the brother. only way that that happens is the initial marketing phase in which we have a viable product that people want and that I could generate enough eyeballs that consumers will want to purchase that product. I could have all of the sales ability in the world, but if someone doesn't want to buy my product, if my product's shit, if I don't have enough consumers who will want to actually buy it, no matter how much I try to convince them, the only thing that I'll result in is a refund. But I think that we're, we're, we're all in agreement. And at the end of the day, I'll use, I'll use real estate as an example. If you have a home that's priced correctly, okay, and you want to sell it. But now you have a product. Never, but it never what, needs that? to be marketed. Exactly, because it's a product that people want. Exactly. So the number one thing then is product. But number let's say I product. had a guy, let's say I had a guy, like let's say you wanted to buy every home in a specific area for a specific price, let's just say. And then I found that product. I'm not marketing at all. I'm selling. I disagree. You know what I'm trying to say? Because if no one knows about your product... Then nobody's gonna buy it. But let's say I already previously made my relationship with you, and I know you want it. Okay, but that that, just that relationship. Sales. So let what is marketing? Let's let's define that. But question. that's what I'm saying. That's no, why, but let's let's. But that's let's why take I agree with back. you. I agree let's with take you. Take a step back. That's, I'm saying what it's a matter marketing? of definitions, right? It's a matter so of. So what is marketing? I think that the definition of marketing and sales they go one and one because you're not gonna get a sale without marketing, but it's just like. How do you define marketing versus how do you define sales? You need both. The, you need them both. Okay, but what is marketing? What, uh, this is a genuine question. I guess pitching your product to consumers. That would be marketing. Pitching? I would just okay. say like offering your product Nick, as, to consumers. Nick, as the marketing professional. So I don't, marketing? Know the I don't know the exact but what, what definition. Is marketing? marketing is basically you have a product and you're going to market. You're going to showcase and to many different people. You're gonna get many eyeballs. So there's many w different ways that you can do marketing through Facebook ads. You take- No, no, but don't don't go into logistics. What is marketing? Marketing is you are paying to display your product or service in front of other people. Why do people. you have to pay? What is marketing? It's just displaying, it's just putting your brand out there. It's well, your what is your definition your of marketing is a more important- Product or service recognition. Marketing is just product or service recognition. So regardless if you're selling real estate or you're selling marketing services or you're selling recruitment and management, if nobody knows about your product and or service, nobody's going to buy it. Yeah, of course. No, so but, then the but sales, nobody's going to ever so know. So then it. the salesperson 
Like, let's say I speak to you. We 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 run into each other on the street. We get talking. Oh, you've been okay, doing but, all this stuff, and then I end up but, selling you on a product. Yeah, but then so that what? Means, that but that I've is mar- marketing. But that means I've marketed. It's to you. just getting and people to know about your business. I've marketed to you, and I've sold to you. Exactly. Correct? Yeah, that's what, that's why I'm saying it's a matter of definition. Yeah, it's a matter of order, definition. It's but it's all the same thing. It's, it's getting someone to know about your product. That's that's what second. marketing we're, is. We're cutting each other off. I think we should take a step back. Be gentlemen about this. The only way that you understand what a product is is through marketing. It's through the initial interest, right? I'm not going to sell someone real estate if they have no interest in buying a piece of real estate. I need the initial interest. That's how we market. Whether we use paid traffic sources, whether it's word of mouth, whether it's through referral or it's through organic strategies, I am showcasing that I have a product and or service that I am willing to trade in in return for your capital. That That's, that's all marketing is. Mm-hmm. Now, sales in itself is just walking through a decision. It's just helping people overcome the limiting beliefs and or reasons as to why they wouldn't purchase said product or service. So the initial stage in which you purchase a product or service initially comes with understanding how this product or service is gonna benefit you. That initially happens with marketing. I'm not gonna buy a property just because some slick guy is going to tell me all the benefits of a fucking property. Well, it's 2,000 square feet and it has, you know, street access and waterfront views. No, go fuck yourself. I'm going to purchase said property. I agree. Because I want to purchase a property. I have the initial interest. And now I understand this market or this property is in place. Yeah. So... Now I'm going to inquire, and this is where sales takes hold, is now I'm going to walk you through the decision-making process in order to purchase set product or service that you want to consume. It's not just, hey, I miraculously want to go and purchase a property. Let me go and talk right to a salesperson. No, I, I need the initial marketing. But that's why, that's why the point that I was making is, I guess, let's say I bring it back to real estate, and then I want to move on to another topic. I think I just we want just, to end yeah. it here. I want at least you guys could give your points as well is that the point that I was trying to make is that let's say in real estate okay the person might have already been marketed to and and they they desire an acquisition for investment in real estate okay maybe it's not even me that marketed to them to make them have that desire to purchase that real estate but if I sell them the real estate that's the only moment that I make money I agree. That was the only point. I, I know. And we that drifted off. We definitely drifted off. All business, you need all of them, okay? But it all starts, yes, sales, marketing. But at the end of the day, business is what? You're solving a problem for another person. If you have a shit product, it doesn't matter how good your salespeople are or how good of marketing you do. People will just be like, this is a shit product and they will not recommend it. So number one is just having a good product. Once you have a good product, it sells itself. Exactly. So I can understand what Ambrose is saying, where you don't necessarily need sales reps. Because if you have a good product, then yeah, obviously you do marketing and it's going to sell. And I've learned this the hard way on taking on uh, maybe back in the day, certain brands, especially e-commerce brands, where you think it's a good product, but there's just no demand for it. And yeah. that comes with me obviously learning and obviously seeing their sales per month. Right. If they're doing zero dollars in sales and they've been in business for, you know, a year, then it's like, okay, well, 
Is the problem the marketing or is the problem maybe that people just don't want your product, right? Exactly. So I definitely think that we can agree on that. But I think what we should end off with is considering everything that we've learned, everything that we've put together, um, the hard work and through the boys and the conversations, starting over yeah. again with the knowledge that you know, because we all have different opinions on what it is to take and bring a company <clears throat> to a million dollars. What would you guys do fresh learning the lessons so you can maybe save people some yeah. time and uh, effort? So let's, let's start with you, Ambrose. So let's say you're 16 years old right now. Yeah. You have, you, you're aware of all the lessons that you've learned, but you have zero skills that you've accumulated. What's step one and step two and step three and step four and step five to eventually get to the quickest way to make your first million dollars, let's say? I think the first step is identifying opportunity. If you're able to identify opportunity and you understand what industries are going to enable you to scale, something that you have some understanding of, you have some existing knowledge, you're able to adapt into and you're able to educate yourself on, then I could come up with the fundamentals of what I can actually build and or service and or scale in order to create a company. So, so step one, product. identifying the opportunity. Identifying the opportunity. And then step two is? Step number two is product. Product. I need to understand what is something that is so good that people can't say no to. Something so good, whether it be a product and or service that is so good that people need me. It is not something that is replaceable. Correct. When I look to my company, and how I restarted from scratch, I'd look at it as, hey, companies are always going to need sales. If they have an influx of leads, if they have marketing in place and they have a viable product, they're always going to need sales. They're always going to need high level sales talent. They're always going to need people to service that side of the business. And that naturally lends myself to understanding that I could fill that role if I'm able to attract the right talent, train them effectively and hold them accountable to said tasks. So that's a very easy way of transitioning into, let's say my industry of recruitment and management. Now, if I look at any other industry, the best way to do that is just understanding, do I have a viable product to begin with? Because then I could learn the fundamentals of the next two steps, which are marketing and sales. If so I you're saying step one is like, Identifying opportunity. Identifying opportunity, but realistically is starting with the product. Your step one is starting with the product. Right. Okay. I would say I would say product. Finding a solution number. for people's yeah. problems. Which you're you're in paid the form of a product or a service. Exactly. Yeah. Product so or service, that's all it is. You're paid in direct proportion to the level of problem that you solve. Agreed. In our case, when we started a landscaping company, we weren't solving a very big problem. We were solving a very shitty problem yeah, exactly. of cutting people's grass. Exactly. Whereas, let's say yourself now, with finding you know commercial units, you're solving the problem of very rich, affluent individuals getting into investment vehicles. With Nick right now, he's solving the problem of business owners trying to get leads into their business. With myself, I'm solving the problem of helping them convert said leads into paying customers. So how would you find that product? I well, think we're all in agreement that product, that is the first step. That is the first step, for sure. Exactly. Product is number one. 
product is number one. Exactly. So then, so then how would you do that? How do I identify it? Yeah. I think you have to look to what industries serve you best. What well, let's you, say for you, for you yeah. personally, let's say you restart. But but what I say, your, what, I, what I say for anyone. Solve is so. But if I'm going into it with no knowledge, yeah, exactly. If I'm going into it exactly. with no knowledge of what I'm currently in, yeah, I have to look to any industry where I could provide value, where I think it's a growing industry. What are the current growing industries? AI is certainly one of them. Business development is certainly another one of them. The online education industry is another component of that. Yep. The textile industry is another one of that making sure that you know you could provide let's say raw materials or transit of set materials or transit or of set products understanding those industries those are all viable industries that will supersede our lifetime so when you look to those i'm not going to get into the printing press it was a viable industry a hundred years ago. Certainly not now. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get into industries that are going to be dying or, you know, becoming obsolete in the coming years. We want to get into industries that are thriving and flourishing. I would even argue that the crypto markets are something that you could get into. That would be an emerging market. Those are all things that you would be able to get into. Now, once you understand, okay, what is something that I'm passionate about? That's something that I could see myself doing long-term. That's where you have a really good understanding of, is this a viable product for me to get into? So real estate is something that's always going to be around. Someone's always going to need a place to live. We're always going to need access to food and water. Those are also industries. We're going to need things to be transported. We're going to need things to be marketed. We're going to mm -hmm. need new emerging innovations in technology. Those are things that we would want to get into. So SaaS and software, are all things that are going to be viable products. So I think it's establishing where is your level of competency. So just to bring it back. So just to say, number one is finding and solving a problem, the opportunity. Correct. Number two is essentially something also that people need that is growing, right? Not something that's dying, that people Correct. need. And then let's just say, I would say number three, and this is just me, I would say is definitely a reoccurring base. So subscription-based model. Well, what I would say is, well, what I would say is like, fuck the generalization. What I'm curious is like, let's say you guys legitimately restarted. Yeah. And let's say you decide to go into the same industry that you're currently in. Okay. What would be step one? Step one is identifying the product. Exactly. So my what, product, what would the product be? My product is sales. Okay. What other skill set can you learn as quickly as I learned sales? Where you guys were all flabbergasted as to where I was making money. Yeah. And you were like, what the fuck? It's sales. It's being able to convert leads into paying customers. Yeah. I was able to develop a skill set where I was able to turn leads into paying customers. And that is something that business owners need. So how would you develop that skill? How would I develop that skill? I would go on YouTube. I would source a mentor. I would read books. I would get in the game. I think when you initially start out in sales or marketing or real estate, you're going to be shit. Of course. It's what we saw when we initially got into these industries. But I think once you start to get into it and you experience it firsthand, 
we learn through emulation. So whether we learn from someone on our, on our team, or we learn through a book, or we learn through doing, we're going to start to develop ourselves and get to a place where we have some competency. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then you've developed the skill of sales, step one. So you're 16, now you're 17, you have the skill of sales. What's step two? Product. Product. So I think it's understanding product. something that is going to influence the marketplace in a bigger stretch than just my personal skill set. Okay. So then step one is real realistically developing the skill of sales for you personally. Is, yeah, because it's for his business, yeah. right? No, it's for him in general. It's for if he started off yeah. at 16 right now, he would spend 16 to 17, let's say, developing the skill of sales. Then you've developed the skill of sales. You're a good salesman. What do you do next? You're saying find product. the product. So product. what is that? So what do you that do? Product, I quantify as product and or service. So for me, the easiest way for someone initially starting out is to get into the service-based industry. You start an agency, you start a firm, you start something that's going to enable other business owners to scale. It's the easiest way. They already have an existing business. They already have proof of concept. You're just adding to said proof of concept by providing a, providing a valuable good or service. Mm -hmm. So that's the easiest way is think about a service-based business that's going to enable business owners to scale because they're affluent, they have the money, and they're willing to spend it to increase the revenue of their business. Now, the, the question is, how do you increase the revenue of a business? If you have a really good skill set, you could do that, whether it's marketing and or sales. So you, you find the product to sell first. So you would basically learn the skill of sales and then you would find the product or service to sell because you've already learned the skill of sales, right? Correct. How would you find the product or service that you would want to go all in in and say, I'm going to sell this product or service? Emerging industries. For me, it was the online education space. I know that people will always need education in order to advance themselves both financially and physically in order to help them create a better quality of life. So whether it's a business owner, whether it's, you know, an individual, it's a consumer, I know that they're going to need education right now. Luckily for me, we're in an age where education is moving more online. And I know that if I help people align themselves with the right education, that they can be in a better place financially. So that's where I would start. Makes sense. Well, for me, it's pretty like the quickest way to get like the company to like a million or consistently making it or just like a one-time sale because it's very different because for us, it would be, let's say if we want to do it first, obviously learning the skill. That's everyone can agree. I agree with pretty much the large yeah. majority yeah, of everything that he says. You got to learn the skill before that. Everything that Amber did, the only thing for me would be the industry. Yeah that I'm working with. So it's niching down and figuring it out. Um, if it's, you know, a commission off of, the quickest way is probably taking a base plus a commission with a high value sale, such as franchising, where I take a commission of the yeah. franchise sale, or example, real estate, where it's bigger properties that I'm marketing, and then that is the quickest way for my business if I want to do a sale, if I want to do monthly, it's restructuring my company, lower paying clients, but having more client, more, um, more clients at lower, lower rates, and then just building a bigger team. Those are essentially the two ways yeah. that I would do it. And I know for Michael, it's probably different, but 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but with everything that I learned, I think you just got to, you got to learn through your failures, man. That's, that's just the way it is. You know, there's no secret sauce. Yeah, but there's I, obviously a I lot. I feel that like you, that's a, that's a cop out. If I'm being, it is, it is. Because do I don't think that? you need to learn through your failures. I think you I think can learn you can through learn other people's others. failures. Exactly. And Sorry, that's what I meant. A smart man learns from his own mistakes. Whoa, own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. That is correct. And I think when we look to business in general, there's so many people that have attempted different industries and information itself is so publicly wide available. Mm-hmm. It's it's endless in terms of what we could search online and come to a conclusion or an answer on our question. And I think when we look at business in itself, I don't think we need to learn from our own mistakes. I don't think we need to, you know, get into a place of self-despair where, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And let's see if it, if it works. What I'm going to say is, who is the individual that is living the lifestyle, the yeah. life that I want to live, and how can I learn from them? How can I emulate what they've accomplished? We learn from emulation in every stretch of our life. When it comes to brushing our teeth, when it comes to walking, when it comes to talking, when it comes to everything that we do, everything is through emulation, and none of our thoughts are really novel. It is just a culmination of different information that we perceive and that we come up with quote unquote novel thoughts. But really, it's just us regurgitating what we've already learned. For sure. For sure. And I just to kind of like end it off for, for everyone listening, I would just say educate yourself, do something you want to do, and just take action. Don't don't try to overcomplicate it and learn from people's mistakes just to get started. Well, what I would say is like the first step is, like we had discussed, is learning the skill. Step one, learning a high income skill. And step two is finding a product or service that is worth selling that you could make the most money from selling, right? That is realistic, that you have a high likelihood of selling and that you make a good amount from selling it, right? Correct. So that would be step two. Then step three is sell the fucking shit out of that product, right? Yeah. Sell the shit out of that product or service. And that is what I would break down for myself for real estate. Like, let's say I would advise somebody in real estate. I would say like, okay, learn the skill of selling real estate or learn the sil- the skill of sales in general. Then your product or service is, is, is real estate. And then sell the shit out of that real estate and make a percentage off of it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And then you're going to make a lot more fucking money than all the bullshit that I did previously fucking doing trial and error and trying to start my own business and trying to figure out shit. Like it doesn't matter if it's your business or somebody else's business. If you learn the skill of sales, then you find a good product or service that could be sold relatively easily. And then you go and sell the shit out of that product. It doesn't matter if you're the fucking owner of the business or not, you're going to make a shit ton of money. You know what I mean? And and that would be like the, the, the final step that I realized is that I would add one more component to it. If you know how to bring that mass market and scale the eyeballs that are associated with said product or service, now you go from a million dollar industry to a billion dollar industry. Yeah. And I think eyeballs are the number one component that you need in order to scale. So I would think that sales, product, and marketing 
are the three components that every single new entrepreneur needs to understand. And if you understand those skill sets, the sky is the limit. Yeah, well, listen, exactly. I love it. The, the, the order of those three don't really matter if you guarantee that you've learned all three and you implement all three. 100%. That I think we could all agree on. Yeah, 100%. Is that like you learn the product first and then you can't sell it? Okay, fair enough. And then you you learn the skill of sales and then you sell it, you're, you're fine. And you could mix and match those fucking things as whatever way you want. At the end of the day, you find a good product, you have the skill to sell it and you could market it to many people, you're going to make a shit ton of money. I agree. You know what I mean? Well, listen, brother, appreciate you... Uh... Having us over. Salute. And uh, appreciate everything. Salute, boys. Cheers, boys. Salute. Thank you.